kind of the, the theme that God has put on my heart for today is moving past rejection. Uh, in life, there are so many times we can experience rejection with uh, my youngest sisters are about to gra- just graduated high school and are about to go to college. And I remember my freshman year of college, my number one goal was to become an RA as soon as possible. That's what I wanted to do over when I was at the University of Tampa, go Spartans. And uh, I wanted to become an RA. So I finished my first semester, and my second semester is it's about to start. And you let them know they have openings in the second semester for RAs. So I'm so excited. I'm like meeting with like five different RAs, getting their advice, getting the advice of Mr. Chang, and doing everything it takes to make sure I do an awesome job at the interview. I've got a friend. Uh, I tell him, hey, you should apply for this too. I kind of coach him. I work with him. Super excited. Uh, we finished the interview, and then a few days later, I found out he got the job as an RA, and I didn't <laughs> after I spent all the time coaching him. Uh, that was a little tough, a little bit of rejection, uh, and we can always experience different rejection in our life. You ask somebody out, and they friend zone you, or maybe you try to become friends with someone, and they, they don't want to be friends with you. For, for thinking about rejection in my family, going a little bit deeper, Uh, When my mom uh, married my dad, uh, it was a big deal in my family. My mom's family had come from India, and the big thing when they came out of poverty in India was uh, to their daughters, you need to get educated, you need to at least get a master's degree, and you need to marry someone who's either a tax lawyer or an engineer at Google. So that's what all of my aunts did. All of them are married to tax lawyers and uh, uncles who are VPs of like uh, artificial intelligence and Google and stuff like that. And then my mom marries a messianic rabbi and she turns down uh, her admission into a PhD program to go into ministry with my dad. And so in the family, that caused a lot of rejection for them. Uh, I remember my mom telling the story. They were kind of walking in a mall. Uh, my dad, my mom, her, her mom, and some of her sisters, and they see some cousins coming around the corner. So they shove my dad into one of the clothing racks so they don't have to introduce him to the family and let them know the disgrace that my mom is now in, you know, Messianic Jewish ministry, married to a rabbi. And on my dad's side of the family, um, I think about my grandparents. Uh, this Sunday, we're going to go to Orlando to visit the gravesite of my grandmother. And I remember at my grandmother's funeral, uh, me and my four siblings and my parents, we go up to Orlando for the funeral, and we get there. And, uh, and then the rabbi, he's meeting different people who are coming in, my grandparents' rabbi, and he was like, so who are you? And my dad's like, well, this is, this is my mom who just died. And he's like, really? I've never heard of you. He's like, are you an illegitimate son? Like, they've never mentioned you. They've been in my congregation for 16 years. I never knew about you or your wife or five kids. They never mentioned you. They mentioned your sister. They never mentioned you. So that was a little bit interesting, okay? Uh, I think my grandparents love me, but they never want to talk about us. Uh, I guess, you know, to the rabbi. Makes sense. It makes sense. But there's different times in our life where we can experience rejection or feel attacked by people. And with rejection, we can feel unwanted, uh, inadequate, unvaluable. And I just feel like God is calling us this weekend to move past rejection. And the passage I want to look at today is uh, in Acts 9. And the person uh, we'll be looking at today is, is Ananias. And he's only mentioned twice in scripture. But as I look at the early Messianic Jewish community, he, for me, is an amazing example of how in a time when the Messianic Jews in the first century were rejected, attacked, and persecuted, how he moved forward past rejection. And so if you want to turn with me over to Acts chapter 9, 
We'll begin in verse 10. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Now there was a disciple named Ananias in Damascus, so in Syria, north of Israel. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, get up and go to the street named Straight and ask in the house of Judah for someone from Tarsus named Saul. For look, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming to lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your Kedoshim, to your holy ones, to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the ruling Kohanim, the ruling priests, to tie up all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a choice instrument to carry my name before the nations and kings and B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for, ni- for my name's sake. So Ananias left and entered into the house. And so in this passage, Ananias is one of the believers, one of the Messianic Jews in Damascus, and he has this vision where God says, go to Saul. And he knows Saul because he knows he is facing right now the persecution and the rejection. He goes to synagogue and he's facing the rejection. He's involved in the Jewish community and he's facing rejection. And he knows that this person named Saul is coming from Jerusalem with orders from the priests and the religious police of Judaism to arrest and deport the people back to Jerusalem for believing in Yeshua. And so he's facing this rejection of the Jewish community and this attack. And in this moment, as we look at Ananias, I see three things for moving past rejection. And the first is to get ready to follow the voice of the Lord. In a world where there are so many voices speaking rejection, speaking attack, putting labels on us, the first thing is to get ready to follow the voice of the Lord. When Ananias hears God call his name, the first thing he says is, Here am I, Lord. In Hebrew, that's hineni. And he's joining a chorus of people in scripture, like Abraham, who when God called him, said hineni. People like Moses at the burning bush who said that. And people like Samuel. And the first thing is he's getting ready to follow the Lord's voice that interests me is that immediately when he hears his name, he says, here I am, Lord. Because I think about um, Samuel. And if you remember back to the stories of the prophets, you can remember Samuel. He was just a boy in the temple uh, being mentored by the priests. And at night he hears the Lord calling him, but he thinks it's his mentor, the high priests. And it takes three times for him to realize this is the voice of God. But what's interesting in this passage is immediately Ananias recognizes this is the Lord speaking. He's able to hear God's voice because he first recognizes it's him, because he's familiar with the voice of God. And I think it's an encouragement and a challenge to us in a world where there are so many voices that can bombard our minds to be a people who know God's voice, who recognize and are familiar with his voice. Because then we're not going to be led astray or led into voices that tear us down. But when we want to be a people who are ready to follow God's voice, first we need to recognize it and be familiar with it. 
And then the second thing about this that I find interesting as he is getting ready to follow the Lord's voice is he says, Hineni. And in Hebrew, it's a combination of Hine and Ani, two words, here and I am. And when people would say Hineni in scripture, it wasn't just I'm here. It was this attitude that when they heard the Lord calling their name, their response is, here I am. Whatever you're calling me to do, I'm ready to obey. It's this response of, I'm not just going to hear what you say, but I'm ready to obey and to follow through. And I was listening a few weeks ago to a pastor in our area, Dr. Keenan Bridges, and he was challenging us. He says, if you want to hear the Lord's voice, if you're struggling to hear his voice, he's not going to speak to people who are just going to brush him aside and do what they want to do anyway. But if we want to hear God's voice, if we want to recognize it with the clarity that Ananias did, we have to be in a place that says, God, when I hear your voice, I'm going to obey. When Abraham heard God's voice, it was challenging him to give up his only son. When Moses heard God's voice, it was God calling him to go back to the land he fled from as a refugee from, from the land of Egypt. When people heard God's voice, it was calling them to difficult things. And yet Ananias here says, Hineni, God, whatever you say, I'm ready to obey. I'm going to follow through. I want to hear your voice. And when I hear it, I'm not going to brush it aside. I'm not going to just do what I want to do anyway. I'm not just going to hear what I want to hear. But I'm going to listen and obey to what you say. And so I think that's a great encouragement, a reminder for us. But what I love about it is that in this readiness to obey, it's not that he just has to ignore or shove his doubts and his questions and his concerns. Because if we keep on reading, it says, but Ananias answered when God told him to go to Saul. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard about him, how much harm he's done to your people and how he has authority to arrest people. Like I'm gonna go to him to pray for him to regain his sight. And as soon as he does that and sees me, he's going to arrest me. It's like you've seen a bunch of movies, right? Where people are framed for a crime or a terrorist attack and they're on the run because they're trying to clear their name. And yet God is saying, nope, I want you to go to the person trying to arrest you, trying to take you down, pray for them for healing so they can see you. (laughs) And in this moment, what's so interesting to me is he brings his doubts, his questions, and his concerns to God. And what I love about the God of Israel and the God of the Bible is he's not a God who just says, stuff down your doubts, your questions, and your concerns. But he says, bring them to me. That there's a difference between questioning and doubting God and bringing our questions and our doubts to God. And that's what he does here. He brings God, I'm concerned that when I go to him, that's the end of my life. The rest of it, I could die like Stephen did just a few months earlier. That could be my future. And yet he doesn't just bury that deep inside or say, God doesn't care. But he knows that we serve a God who cares about our questions, our doubts, and our concerns because he cares about us. And so he brings them to God and he brings those before him. And then the last thing he does in getting ready to follow God's voice is after he brings those concerns and doubts to God, he trusts God to do the supernatural. Because what I love what God tells him is then he says to him, you're going to pray for him that he regains his sight. And when you come to him, he is going to become my chosen instrument to carry my name to all the nations of the world and the Jewish people. That God tells him, I'm going to do two supernatural things. Number one, 
I'm going to heal his sight so he can see again. And number two, I'm going to transform his heart so he goes from persecuting my people to being my agent in the world so that he goes from just being a Jewish leader to being one who's going to all the nations, that he's going from one who persecuted the believers to one who's going to endure persecution and suffering and hardship. That God says, I'm going to both give him his sight back and transform his heart. And Ananias' response after he brings his doubts and questions and concerns to God is to say, God, I'm going to trust you to do the supernatural. That I have these concerns and I have these doubts that are very real. But your power to do the supernatural is even greater. And so to be a people in a world where here we hear so many voices so many voices that want to speak rejection on us, that we are unwanted, that we are inadequate. So many voices that want to label us. In this world, we can be a people who recognize God's voice, who bring our doubts and concerns to him, and then trust him to do the supernatural because that's the track record he has. And so as I look at Ananias and how he moves forward from rejection, the first thing I see is that he gets ready to hear the voice of of the Lord. And the second thing I see about him in dealing with rejection and attack is that he measures his life by what God says. If you want to turn with me over to Acts chapter 22, it's the only other passage in scripture where it mentions Ananias. And this is after God does that transformation in Saul's life. He regains his sight. He's transformed to become an instrument for the Lord. He goes to Jerusalem and in Jerusalem, all the people are in uproar because he's turned to God and they think he's done some crazy things in the temple and they're out to get him and so they frame him. And so a mob surrounds him and in that moment, he's recounting his testimony of what God had done in his life and he brings us back to Ananias, this example for us. And so in Acts 22, verse 13, it says, Then a certain Ananias a devout man according to the Torah, well spoken of by all the Jewish people living here, came to me. And standing before me, he said to me, Brother Saul, look up. And at that very moment, I looked and I saw him. And he said to me, the God of our fathers handpicked you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth for you will be a witness for him to all the people of which you've seen and heard. Now, why are you waiting? Get up and be immersed and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And so in this passage about Ananias, the first thing he tells us about Ananias is he says that he is a devout man, a devout Jew, according to the Torah. And in the Greek, when it says according to the Torah, according to the law, it's this idea of according to the measure and the standard of God's law. For me, as I look at what are we called to be as a Messianic community, I see Ananias as this amazing example of someone who embraced Jewish calling, Jewish life, Jewish culture, but it says he did this according to the measure and the standard of the scriptures. And so for us, as a Messianic community, I see God calls us to Jewish life and to Jewish culture and to these things. But our legitimacy is not defined by our level of Jewish observance or our level of Jewish practice, but it's by the measure and the standard of the scriptures. 
And in a world where we can be told by the wider Jewish community, you're not really Jewish, you're a fake Jew, and, and experience that rejection that, that you guys are just a, a messed up weird community. In a world where you can hear that as a messianic community or in a world where we can experience all sorts of rejection, the second thing I see about moving forward from rejection is to measure our lives by God's word. That our legitimacy is not in what other people say about us or what other people think about us but it's found in the scriptures. And as we deal with rejection or p- people or these thoughts of inadequacy that we fail, that we're an imposter, I think about the standard set for us in Philippians where it says, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on to the goal for the reward of the upward calling of Messiah Yeshua. That as we measure our lives by the standard of of the scriptures, God is not calling us to live defined by the mistakes and the failures of the past, but to move forward because we know that the past is forgotten and wiped away and we're called to by the grace of Yeshua to move forward and releasing and entrusting the past to God. And so in this scripture with Ananias, he is facing persecution from the Jewish community. He is facing that rejection And yet, even as he lives a Jewish life and seeks to follow Yeshua, he knows that the measure of his life, the measure of his identity is not determined by what the community thinks of him. It's according to the measure of God's word. And so the second thing for us is to move forward from rejection, is to measure our lives by God's word. And then the last thing that I see in this passage in moving forward from rejection is to be a mensch. And so if, if you reread on, it says that Ananias was a devout man according to the Torah. And then it says, well spoken of by all the Jewish people living there. That even though that a lot of the Jewish community had rejected them, had rejected Ananias, that even though he was facing persecution, that when push came to shove, if they were to ask, okay, what kind of man is Ananias, even if you don't like him, they had to admit that they respected of him and spoke well of him. And we got a word for that in Yiddish, right? It's to be a mensch, to be someone of integrity and honor. That even when rejected and attacked by others, that Ananias didn't respond and live a life of bitterness or resentment or develop like a superiority or an inferiority or a minority mindset of thinking that. But he recognized that even when facing that rejection and persecution, he was going to live a life that was winsome and he was going to be a mensch. And as I think about that, I think about the words that Peter gives to the Jewish community, the Messianic Jews in Diaspora, in 1 Peter chapter 2. And he says to them in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, and then when they speak against you as evildoers, which they will, they're going to notice your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And it's this idea of, of that even when we face rejection and persecution, that God is calling us not to respond in the same way, but to rise to the calling that God has for us and to, re- and to live a life free of bitterness, not to let rejection hold us down, but to live with integrity and honor. And that because Ananias does that, he is then in a position where he's able to be used by God to transform Saul. Right, Ananias is only mentioned in like five verses in scripture. But because that he moved forward from rejection into what God had for him, 
he was used to lead Saul to the Lord and to, we see the awesome things that Saul did, right? So many of the scriptures were written by Saul. So many of the early congregations were planted by Saul. But it happened because Ananias didn't live in the fear of rejection and attack, but he was able to move forward. And when Ananias speaks to him, he says to him that the righteous one appeared to him and spoke to him. And when he says the righteous one, I can't but think of Isaiah 53. Because in a world where we face rejection, in a world where we face these other voices, it's a reminder to us that we don't have to be defined by rejection, defined by shortcomings, defined by failures, defined by the labels that other people place on us because our identity is in Yeshua. Because in Isaiah 53, it tells us that all of our past, that everything that we have to fear is inadequate or undesirable or unwanted, that all of our sin, our guilt, and our shame, Yeshua bore himself and he carried that so that we can be free of those things and live a life knowing the full acceptance of God. That all of the judgment that we deserve for our sins, he took upon himself. And because of that, we can break free from cycles of rejection. For me, for about two years, uh, I was a part of an inner healing and deliverance school to say, God, I want to be able to move forward from the issues in my life to be able to move forward into the fullness of the life that you have for me. And in one of those classes uh, on acceptance and rejection, they showed us this cycle. And so, uh, Brandon, if you could pull up that first slide uh, with the arrows there. They talked about this cycle that we can go through, this vicious cycle, that we can, feel, that we can say, okay, I feel unloved and rejected, so there must be something wrong with me. So to avoid pain... I'm going to push others out. I'm going to reject them first before they can reject me. And that's what Ananias first could have done, right? Saul is here to arrest me. Saul is here because the Jewish community has rejected me and attacked me, and I can stay away from him before they can attack and hurt me. And that's so easy to do. And so we can go to that place and follow this cycle of saying, okay, we, to avoid pain, we close others off. We want to reject them before we experience rejection. And then we can move from there into, okay, others don't want to include me or I feel unwelcome. And so often we can live lives in spirals of rejection, going deeper and deeper into it. But because of Yeshua, there is another way. And so they showed us this other cycle that instead that when we feel unloved and rejected, we can bring us back to Isaiah 53. We can go back to the fact that Yeshua bore our sins, our guilt, and our shame, and that he was rejected by God, that stretched out on the tree the execution mistake. He said, Eli, Eli, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we can know that because he was forsaken, because he was rejected, God will never forsake us. He will never reject us and he'll never leave us. And so because of that, when we know his acceptance and we know the love in Yeshua, it frees us that it doesn't matter what people think or feel about us, that that doesn't have to define us. But instead, we can reach out to others even if they hurt us because our security is in Yeshua. And that if people hurt us, we can take that pain to him. That like Ananias went before God and he said, I have these concerns, I have these doubts, I have these issues. I have this fear that I'm going to be rejected and attacked and arrested and even killed. That if we find our security in Yeshua, we can bring those things to him. 
He can heal the places of rejection in our life and move us forward into a life defined by the acceptance and love because of what Yeshua has done for us. And so as we move forward on the Shabbat, I just want to pray for us. And so as Jillian gets ready to lead us into worship uh, for the rest of the service, I just want to pray for us that in every area where we have been struggling with rejection, in every area we have been struggling with being unwanted or inadequate or not enough, that God's voice has a different word to speak over us. And so, Father, we thank you that in our deepest moments of pain, in our deepest moments of feeling abandoned, in our deepest moments of rejection, that Yeshua knows that pain personally, that he has experienced it, and that because of him, our identity is in you, that because of him, we have unconditional acceptance in you, God, help it to go beyond just religious words. Help it to go beyond nice platitudes. Help it to go beyond just a a coping mechanism that we try to understand the depth of your love and acceptance because of the torture Yeshua endured. And God, let the power of the good news transform our lives to move forward past rejection to help others know your love and acceptance like Ananias did. Thank you, God, that you have a better word to speak over us. And on this Shabbat, we say, Hineni, Lord. We are ready to hear and obey and to receive the word that you have to speak to us. In Yeshua's name, amen.